Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X Podcast. A podcast hosted by two childhood best friends dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Kate, a writer, a midwife, a current day pop culture know-nothing, but nobody puts baby in a corner when it comes to the pop culture of my youth. And I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's still not over how my so-called life left us hanging. Greetings and salutations. We've decided to kill a bottle of wine and dish on 1989's cult classic, Heathers, starring Winona Ryder, Christian Slater, and Shannon Doherty. Dear Diary, it's no secret this film is so very. So let's get into the red scrunchie of it all. Kate, let me start off by asking, what's your damage? And by damage, I mean your history with this iconic film. I can't remember. I feel like this was true last time, too, that, like, I can't remember how it came into my life or how old I was. I hope for my sake that I was older than I was in 1989 when the movie was actually released, (laughs) because I would have been 13. Were we 13 in 1989? Oh, that's some hard math. It was released on March 31st, 89, so we were actually 12. Right, but we definitely didn't see it when it was released. Um, No, after... Like on the VHS, probably we had a blockbuster moment. When I think back on this movie, I feel like I saw it with you for the first time. Do you have that memory or did I totally make that up? I think that may be very true. I think that I was (laughs) like patient, but I think I was patient zero of Heather's. Like, I think I saw it before I saw it with you. And then I was like, oh my gosh, you have to see this really cool movie. (laughs) So Yeah. So, okay. That brings up a really interesting point. I remember when I saw it, loving it. I think we were probably 13. I don't actually think we were in high school yet. And I remember... I think you might be right. Which is weird that I would have loved it only because if we weren't in high school yet, it stands to reason that this would have terrified me to start high school. But it didn't. I was like, this movie's awesome. It's so dark and I dig it, which says a lot about me as a as a Wednesday Adams <laughs> child or something. I don't know. I do, I do think maybe we were in middle school. And as an adult now, I have lots of feelings about me seeing this movie uh, in middle school. (laughs) As do I. Now, I don't have a, you know, junior high or middle school daughter, but I do have a son in eighth grade and I really wouldn't want him anywhere near this movie. Where were our parents? You know what? Well, I know where my parents were. (laughs) It was the 80s. We don't actually have to ask that question. That's not a question. (laughs) That was a challenging time (laughs) in my family life. (laughs) So, and so it it does make sense that uh, perhaps I didn't have a lot of people monitoring what I was watching (laughs) on on, Heather's porn. Whatever. Uh, I am proud to say that there was no internet. So, like, I mean, I guess some t- was that then, you know, where you could like do like the pay-per-view and it was all scrambled and you could be like, oh, wait, I think was that maybe oh. I saw something scrambled in yeah. there, but I wasn't that interested. So I didn't right. spend a lot of time hurting my eyes trying to do that. I, I think um, my, my parents just probably saw some girls on the cover. Oh, no, it's it's Winona and Christian. And Christian. On yeah, the cover. I know that iconic cover. Yeah, it doesn't look threatening. Heather's. It doesn't. It looks like a fun campy cute feel good uh, fun rom-com right i was a huge winona fan so of course as was i and uh shannon doherty like i loved her from our house our house yes 
I think that briefly in my childhood, I wanted to be a pilot and an astronaut because of like her character in that show. Because wasn't that what she wanted to do? Yes. Yeah. I was was highly influenced by that. We loved her too from her little stint on Little House. Oh, Little House. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, okay. The movie opened on March 31st, 1989. And it only opened in 54 theaters. And it was like, you know, an, an indie film. It made $1.1 million during its theater release. It was directed by Michael Lehman. It was his first film. And wow, way to knock it out of the park on a first film. Well, it was critically acclaimed, right? But not very... Yeah, I think it like, it was all the buzz at Sundance. Right. But it wasn't, it was not super popular and wide release. No. So I think it was one of those things that just, once it was released on video, it just got some legs and word of mouth and it just spread like wildfire. I remember everyone talking about it. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a very cool movie when we were young. It was a cool thing. And so when I went back to watch it... I was excited and I was expecting it to be like fun and we were going to have this really fun podcast. And now I feel like as we're going into it, I have to give this like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a very special episode of the Untitled Generation X podcast. Adult supervision probably is encouraged. And I also feel like I have to give a little bit of a content warning for some of the topics we're going to discuss. Yeah, this is some some sensitive content. Yeah, like there is some assault issues that come up, like a lot. And so I just want to throw that out there. If that is a sensitive topic for you, we won't be offended if you step away. But we hope you don't, because this is going to be an important discussion, I think. I think we can have fun while still talking about what needs to be talked about here. I mean, this movie touches on everything from disordered eating to suicide, fat shaming, school violence. I don't even know. It's just the beat goes on and on. Right. Homophobia. Like, I mean, like so many different things. So I just I think it's just important to mention that because I sort of uh, in my head was thinking this was going to be just kind of fun, light and airy. And then as I was watching this, I was like, this is a dark film. <laughs> so, so much darker than I remember. Um, and everything that's happened in the world in the last 31 years makes it that much darker. When we were trying to choose what we wanted this episode to be on. Oh, I hear some. Is that ice I'm hearing in your glass? It is ice. Oh, um, Nice. Dear listeners, don't worry. I don't have ice in my wine. I I just didn't quite make the wine, so I have a different adult cocktail. Okay, well, I'm going to encourage everyone to take a drink. Let's play a little drinking game here. Take a drink every time you hear the ice in Katie's glass. When you hear that. I hear it. You take a drink. I'll take a drink right now. And uh, you can also take a drink if you hear Lori say, um. Oh, that's a lot of drinks. Take small sips when you do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so should we get into it? Let's get into it. So we open with the red scrunchie. We see Heather number one. This is Heather Chandler. We see the back of her head. She's putting this red scrunchie in her hair. And you're thinking, you know, what's going on here? And then we pan to three Heathers, three girls named Heather, in a garden playing croquet. And they're just stomping on flowers. They're wearing these, you know, one of them's in red, one of them's in yellow. Shannon Doherty's in a patterned green. I I just want to call her name Shannon Heather, but that's what I call her. So let's (laughs) just go with that. She's Heather Duke, just just in case anybody says Shannon Heather, a.k.a. Shannon Heather. Right. And they're wearing these like Oxford shirts, blazers with really aggressive shoulder pads, skirts, Mary Janes, and everyone's mallet. That's called a mallet, right? It is, I think. Okay. 
All right. I think so. L- little hitty thing. Hitty right. Stick. The thing you hit the ball with. <laughs> Everyone's mallet and ball matches their outfit. So we see Red Heather, main Heather, Heather Chandler, hit the ball with her mallet, if that's indeed what it's called. And she hits Veronica, which is Winona Ryder, in the head like a right. whack-a-mole. And this <laughs> right. is how we open. She's- Buried in the ground. Yes, with just her head sticking out as as one yeah. does. Yeah. Which I do feel like when I first saw it, that was like my first clue of like, oh, this movie will be different. <laughs> this and is interesting. Quirky. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, Winona Ryder coming off of Beetlejuice and all this attracts. So we get some Dear Diary voiceover work. And we're panning between Life at School and Veronica, Winona Ryder, in her bedroom. And so she's writing these angry diary entries. She's wearing a monocle. Yes. Just an interesting choice. Like like Mr. Peanut. Right. Like what? <laughs> like who does I, that? <laughs> I don't know. But it, I mean, it does sort of lend to her sort of quirkiness and original it originality there that's the word i'm gonna pick it just sort of yeah uh, helps her to stand out (laughs) (laughs) drink up (laughs) y'all i'm drunk already i hear so much ice um we're in the school cafeteria veronica is told by heather number one write a love letter to martha from the hot football player and martha poor martha Poor you want to speak to Martha? You could tell she's a nice girl. She's all alone. Right. She is all alone. She does not have a body type that fits 1980s. Well, I mean, let's be honest. That fits yeah. like our culture's body ideal. I have to say that Hollywood really needs to like up their game. Like Hollywood always takes the low blow on the fat girls. Mm-hmm. And as someone who is in a larger body, I have to say it's like, let's be done with that. Although I will say that writers of this were trying to sort of provide a more a more realistic which i don't know if that's the right word uh alternative to like john hughes movies right so john hughes movies portray high school in a certain way and he was trying to counter that and so which is interesting because each one of these archetypes is represented in this film right is right out of of a John John Hughes Hughes, movie. Exactly. So, I mean, in a sense, I mean, that's a reality, unfortunately, of high school for sure in the 80s and the 90s. And I would imagine it probably continues today that people who are different in some way, whether it's their body or their hair or their clothes or whatever, often sort of ostracized. And so it, it is unfortunate. And it's such a cruel joke that they play on her. It is. So Veronica's reluctant, but she does it because... While she hates her friends, she can't say no to them. So let's, can we just explore that a little bit? Sure. What I wanted is like, why though? Why does she need to be friends? Because she continually sort of says like, I hate my friends. My friends do these unkind things. But like, that was the part of the story that really had a big gap in it for me Mm. of why do you need to be friends with these people? What benefit are you getting from it? And it wasn't just being friends. She was an active participant. Right. And so like, is it worse to be the person who has a conscience and recognizes how just horrible this behavior is and does it anyway, versus being one of the Heathers who's just like, eh, whatever. (laughs) Right. Not giving it much thought at all. Just going along with it because that's what we do. 
Right, because they're just kind of mean girls. Right. That, to me, was a flaw in the storytelling that, of course, I did not recognize at all when I was watching this <laughs> when I was younger. At, uh, at 13 years old. No. Right. <laughs> so we see, a, we're introduced to, like, a brooding Jason Dean, which is Christian Slater. So we see a brooding Jason Dean and his earring in the corner of the cafeteria watching this whole thing go down. So Martha gets this love letter from this hot football player guy, popular guy. She goes up to talk to him, and immediately it's the joke of the school, right? Everybody's laughing. Everybody's laughing except Veronica. They're all dressed sort of the same in these matching outfits, not unlike like the pink ladies in Greece or the plastics in Mean Girls. You know, it's it's kind of one of those tale as old as time movie things, right? Where we see it's them versus everybody else. And we know that they are part of this group because of the way they look and the way they dress. Can we talk about the way they dress though? Because I mean, we did not go to a fancy high school, but have you ever seen anyone who dressed like that in high school? No, but I think it was just supposed to be so maybe upper crust privileged with these Oxford shirts and these brooches and the jackets and All the things in the hair, they're just supposed to be girls of means and social status is is what I'm getting out of it. I mean, it's clearly meant to be uh, a little bit like stylistic, right? Because did you notice how their houses all reflect their colors? So, I mean, obviously in real life, that's not going to be a real thing. I dress to match my house regularly. What are you talking about? Oh, can you imagine if we had done that? Because everything I... Oh, this is, <laughs> Not a wait, time. wait, this is really interesting because like my house until it got upgraded eventually, everything was an avocado green. Oh, well, uh, child of the 70s. I mean, we were, we were, what was it? Harvest Gold? Our yeah, you were Harvest Gold Harvest and gold. I was, I was avocado green. But yes. do you know that I wear that color a lot now? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good color. It, it came really back. Is. Uh, yeah, and they don't now they call it like olive green, but it's oh, it, it's really that same yes. avocado kind of color. So but now you choose it so it's different. And also now my house doesn't match it. <laughs> so this whole terrible thing goes down. We end up in the school bathroom where Veronica is filing her nails to purge Heather Duke, Shannon Heather, in this disordered eating situation. Right. That was dark. It and gross. And uh, gross. And dark. And and <laughs> take a drink. I, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't mean to make light of this topic. Um, but again, like definitely an issue for a lot of young women. But also just the way they kind of portrayed all of this is sort of I don't know what the right word is for it. Like, it's just sort of like, oh, like... Nonchalant. Yeah, nonchalant. There you go. Perfect. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I don't think we had necessarily seen before is that the jocks go over to teach Jason Dean slash Christian Slater a lesson. He does. But I do want to say before that... We have to talk about the lunchtime poll that happens first. Oh, okay. Did I get out of order? No, it's okay. But I do think it's important because they decide to go around and take a lunchtime poll. And the question is, you inherit $5 million the same day aliens land on Earth. And they say they're going to blow it up in two days. What do you do? So my question to you, Kate, what do you do? Is it weird that my first thought is like, is it possible to buy off the aliens? <laughs> I, With the five million dollars. Can I use dollars? the money? Your currency that, is no good on our planet. That really means nothing to them. But like, I, yeah, I don't know. That was my first thought. But um, what's the friend's name from when she was younger? Oh, Betty? yes. 
Yes, Winona Ryder's friend from when she was a kid. Yeah, and she says that she'd use it to to throw an end of the world party. Which and is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I actually really like that answer. I it wasn't original enough to come up with it on my own, but I think that's what I well, would do. Well, so it was better than JD's answer, which was I'm gonna row out to a lake with some tequila and a sax and Bach. Okay, I was so cringy, eye roll, but Veronica seems impressed. JD, you're deep. You're not like the others. I like this answer. Right. Also, let's talk about Christian Slater a little bit. Because, like, my memory of him in this movie as is, like... <laughs> he's of so this, hot. Like, yeah, that he's, like, this, like, older, like, brooding, super hot guy. Right. And, and then when he came on screen, I was like, he's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> you're a woman in your 40s now. <laughs> And and I feel like he's he often played younger than he actually was, so he may not have been that much of a baby in that well, moment. Oh my god. Winona Ryder was 15 when filming started on this film. Oh, she was young. She was so young. And in fact, I'm skipping to a little trivia stuff here, but I feel like it applies. Heather Graham and Jennifer Connelly both turned down roles in this movie because their parents didn't want them to Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't let them. I know. Yeah, like it's just I too know. dark. Right. So right. this is when the jocks decide they want to give them a scare. They act like, you know, assholes, like, like stereotypical jocks do. What does JD do, Kate? Uh, so he stands up and he pulls out a very large gun and he shoots them both. We find out later, of course, that there were blanks in the gun that he didn't actually shoot them with bullets. Post Columbine, this was a hard watch. Just yeah. this alone. This is a giant red flag. Giant red flag that everyone just seems to overlook, including Veronica, who's supposedly the smart one. Right. Like, he doesn't get kicked out of school. It's so he weird. He doesn't, like, nothing really bad happens to him. And, uh, which, again, like, I, I mean, I think maybe that's a statement that the writers were trying to make about sort of how clueless adults are about what's going on with kids during high school and how serious it can be. With the exception of one counselor who seemed to have, you know, selfish interests. Mental health was just completely overlooked in this movie. It was like not a not a thing. Parents aren't worried. School's yeah. not worried. Nobody's worried. So very strange. And then at the time when I saw it when I was younger, it felt like, oh, those mean jocks are kind of getting their comeuppance, you know. And but now as an adult and certainly in the world that we live in after Columbine and, and having him being in that trench coat exactly. uh, just made it feel really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, <laughs> OK, I agree. I mean, I have I have a son that just graduated high school this year and that felt really bad to me. I mean, everything in this film felt actually in truth pretty bad to me. Yeah, it was really uncomfortable. It, it, was. it was not pleasant to watch. No. Move on to the Remington party, the frat party. And Heather, number one, is going with Veronica. And they stop at a convenience store. And Heather stays in the car. Veronica goes in. And she runs into one JD. We learn some stuff about him. We learn that he's moved around a lot. And the only thing he can count on in his life is a convenience store. He rides a motorcycle. He smokes. He's a cool guy. He's dangerous. We get it. Red flag number two. 
Right. Like they have solidly like given him the bad boy persona. Like it's yes. locked in by this point. As if, you know, the gun in earlier scenes. <laughs> Wasn't it? Do it? Like but... in case you didn't get it. Right. <laughs> and BBQ corn nuts. Corn nuts. <laughs> I don't like corn nuts. Are you a fan? They hurt my teeth. Yeah, they're not good for your teeth. So Veronica's writing in her diary aggressively, very aggressively. Very writing. I mean, when you had a diary, sorry, this is a segue. I wasn't consistent about writing in a diary when I was young, but I went through periods in my life when I did it. And I loved my diary so much that I wanted to have the best handwriting. That's so like you. That's It, it is. Like, I wanted <laughs> so like it to you. be so pretty, which is stupid because I didn't want anyone reading it. Oh my God, I die. But I wanted the writing to be so pretty. And when I would mess up, it would really upset me. Yeah, but she is just like going to town on this diary. To that topic, I before I was a nurse, I was an actor. So I have a degree in theater. And I was in an acting class. And one of our assignments was to journal. And the teacher didn't want to read the journal. She just wanted to see yeah, what right. her writing looked like. Yeah, right. That's just what like. she told you. That's just what they told you. No, she she just flipped through <laughs> it. She didn't read it. I, I stood there, right, while she, while, while she was doing it. And... She was like, yeah, I think you need to get more in touch with your feelings. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she goes, your handwriting never changes. Like, whatever you're talking about, it's always the same. So if you're, like, more in touch with your emotions, like, that should be reflected in your handwriting. Uh, And so, so like you, I I do like things neat and tidy, but Mm -hmm. I have learned to let my journals reflect my mood. And it it is kind of fun when you go back and look and you're like, whoa, what was going on that day? (laughs) Well, if anyone opened Veronica's journal they would know. So we're getting these flashbacks to the Remington party and there's problematic college guys. There's it's so uncomfortable. Yeah, to like watch. I don't even know the right words to use here. There's a lot of issues involving consent. The these girls are coercion. Only coercion. These girls are only juniors in high school and Are they I thought they were seniors. Are they they the same age as the jocks? Because the jocks say they're seniors seniors, every other word. I think they are because she says at one point that she's going to have to send her transcripts to like San Quentin Uh, instead of. Still bad. No, it's Um, still bad. Like I went to one college party when I was a senior in high school. And it was was there. I think you were. Okay. (laughs) And it was nothing like that. Okay. Okay. So it was nothing like that. But do you remember this? We were with our other girlfriend, she with the curly hair. Mm -hmm. And a guy came up to she and I, tell me if you were there. He's like, Mm -hmm. hey, girls, how old are you? And we said, 17. We were seniors. He was in college. And he goes, oh, old enough. Oh, I don't don't think I was there for that. And we... I mean, we weren't into him, whatever, but we were just like, oh, and that became the joke between us, old enough, but it's actually not funny. We laughed at it at the time. Not funny now. These guys are not good guys. And so we're seeing these scenes go back and forth between her writing in her diary and these interactions with these horrible guys. And she does say that she understands that she must stop Heather and she wants to kill her. Right. So we cut to foreshadowing. Yeah. (laughs) Good foreshadowing. We cut to the party and Heather engages in some stuff with one of the guys and Veronica refuses. I think it's worth noting. And I think that, that I missed this a little bit. Like maybe I got it to a certain point, but how she really doesn't want to. She doesn't want to. That, and so that's an interesting statement, right? On the pressure that she felt like, 
I think we don't often, we don't get many glimpses of Red Heather and sort of any conflict that might be there for her. But but that is one little glimpse that we get of, you know, that she's kind of this like vapid, annoying person most of the film. But she also feels really caught in this world that she's trying to be a part of. So that's really one of the only glimpses that we get. It's not a very fun glimpse to no. watch all grown up. Winona Ryder's, uh, or Veronica, I'm sorry, uh, her her little prepared speech that she has. It was good. <laughs> her suitor, like, yeah, I was like, that's great. <laughs> So Veronica refuses and Heather is so embarrassed and she says something like, I'm going to ruin you. So, and it's all just, it's all very, okay. It's just all very, it's, it's everything it to the extreme. So right. very then, dramatic, very dramatic. JD that night, presumably that night breaks into Veronica's room. Okay. Right. He's flag. just like, <laughs> yeah. <out her> window. <laughs> this is now red flag number Three, okay. I'm count. I counted the red flags. You don't even want to know. Red flag number three breaks into her room. They play strip croquet. JD says outright, Heather Chandler is one bitch who deserves to die. Red flag number five. So in the morning, Veronica and JD decide they're going to give Heather some sort of hangover cure. We're in Heather's. Well, kitchen. no, I'm. Let, let, that's actually not what they're trying to do. She's trying to make her puke. Because well, yes, I said she's hang- annoyed. I, with okay, her. my notes say hangover cure for Heather to make her vomit. I thought it was right. like hangover cure and floppy air quotes. Right, yeah, like yes. that's what they're gonna tell yes. her. But to tell her, but they like want her to throw up. Their goal is to make yes. her puke. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't clarify. Yeah. So Heather's kitchen is stark white with crazy red accents, just like Heather herself. Right. And JD proposes some sort of like Drano type. Liquid. So okay. If you had asked me this right up until this moment of the film, what they had given Heather, I would have said they gave her Drano. Right. Am I wrong? I mean, it was called something else. It was called Hole Cleaner. So I was like, what the heck is Hole Cleaner? So I Googled it. It's a thing. It's a product. You can buy it. Oh, okay. I assumed it was a Drano. Um, Well, and then I felt better because in another scene, like a little bit later, Winona Ryder says something like, I didn't want to give her drain cleaner for breakfast or something like that. So I'm like, okay, well, I didn't make that idea. Right. But hole cleaner is actually not Drano. It's like an anti-rust, anti, um, it gets water marks off, that kind of thing. But it's pretty industrial strength. So Okay. So it's like a solvent. It's not something that you ingest. And my guess is that perhaps Drano was like, please don't use us. (laughs) Bad publicity. Please don't associate Mm -hmm. our name with this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Veronica's real quick to say, hey, man, that's that'll kill her. Right. That'll kill her. I don't want to do that. Let's don't be stupid. Let's do something gross like milk and OJ. They pour. I assume because I don't remember. I watched this really late at night. JD pours it into a mug. First, he pours it into a glass, and she says, "Don't be ridiculous." She'll never drink that. That'll kill her. And yeah, she'll never drink it. It's, it's blue, blue, so he pours it yeah. into a mug. Okay, he pours it into a mug, this white mug, and these mugs have tops. Weird. I guess it keeps the liquid inside of them warm. I feel like it's a rich people thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've never seen that before. I thought I could really use one of those though. So mm-hmm. Veronica grabs another mug. Makes her gross OJ milk concoction. Same mug, which was stupid. Who has matching mugs? Let's start there. I mean, I have a couple, but... Oh, for many years of my life, I had matching mugs. Oh, okay. Well, this doesn't apply to you matching mug people. Let's not judge the matching mug people. (laughs) So it comes time to grab the mug. They both have tops on them. Veronica grabs the wrong mug. JD totally notices 
kind of half-assed, goes to stop her, but then decides not to because he's a terrible, terrible human being. I mean, he really is. He is. So red flag number 85, right? Right. So they go into Heather's bedroom. She's sleeping in this like gorgeous satin sleeping dress thing. There's red bows everywhere <laughs> right. in her room. She they, they tell her, oh, we've got the stuff. It's going to make you feel better. Veronica doesn't know. They've got the solvent in the mug. I, I assume that stuff smelled bad. Industrial solvent smells. It smells well, so I always thought that that was always my memory, too, of like, come on, like, how would she not realize that? But he does sort of, like, dare her to do it. So she okay. just sort of kicks so it back what? quick. I mean, come on. So I don't know. But I like, I can kind of suspend my disbelief on that one uh, more than some of the other points in the movie. But I mean, if you um, would have given it to her and said it's absinthe and you're like, ooh, absinthe is mysterious. And I know it's just like crazy color. And oh, oh. I can Wait, see it a little bit more. Is absinthe a crazy color? Isn't I think it? it's clear. <laughs> I think I've had absinthe. What am I? Th- and I think it's clear. Why do I think it's blue? Uh, are you thinking of like blue curacao? <laughs> I don't know what that is. I hey, think Siri, it's blue. What color is absinthe? Whatever. Let's suspend the disbelief. So she drinks it. She For drinks time. It. <laughs> For I know. People are like, how far into this oh movie? Oh my are god. <laughs> okay, so she drinks it. She immediately like grabs her throat. She's choking. It's scary. And she just yells corn nuts and right. falls into a glass table. Which is like from a cinematography perspective, like that's that's a pretty interesting shot. I will I will give them that. I literally looked away because I knew it was coming and it, I was upset. So she's dead. And Veronica says, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I killed my best friend. And JD's all and worst enemy. And she's like, same difference. OK, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. If your best friends are your worst enemies, you've got some problems. Right. So as you know, I had some complicated friend issues in uh, high school, in early high school. Um, Somebody that I was really good friends with. We had a parting of the ways. And it was not always pretty. Uh, I mean, nobody was going to kill each other. But God like, forbid. Uh, but there was there was some there was a high degree of animosity. So I mean, there are times where that happens, where your yeah. friends suddenly feel like not your friends, but uh, not to the point of murder. No. Ideally, no. So JD concocts this idea: let's make it look like a suicide. We got to get out of this, right? Yeah. Which and here is like red flag number like nine hundred and seventy four. Mm-hmm. And we've she's, known JD for like a hot second, and we're already right. here. And she says. Like, something like, man, it seems like you've done this before. And he doesn't really say anything. Mm, and you see, like, telling. the look on her face is like, oh. <laughs> so. Yeah. So she's already suspicious. Right. So they write the suicide note automatically. Everyone buys it. No. No investigation. No foul play. Right. Not thinking it's weird. that no. I mean, because, like, their, yeah, like, their fingerprints would have been all over the place. So, yeah, exactly. the police in this town are clearly uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> not doing their They're focused job. on other things. Yeah. <laughs> so, we're back at school. We see Shannon Heather, Shannon Doherty, eating fried chicken. She's got an appetite. There's not a purge in sight. She's doing well. Weird. Uh, Heather, what's the other Heather's name? The yellow Heather. Uh, Mac uh, The cheerleader. The yeah. cheerleader one. Uh, yellow she Heather. is like, oh, it's so unfair. We only get an hour off of school instead of a whole day. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, that's what's unfair. Right. So 
it's designed to sort of show like how superficial they are. But I don't know that that's a great reflection of high schoolers, because that has never been my observation. Although I maybe the way that uh, Heather Duke, who is Shannon Doherty reacts where she like runs to all of the different news stations, uh, right. to sort of say how sad she is. Like, but even that's for attention. It's not really right. It's not because she's, she's so really sad. sad. Yeah. We see some interaction between JD and his dad. We learn super weird. His dad is like not a good guy. There's another red flag. We end up at Heather number one's funeral. Lots of red flowers. It's a weird funeral. Veronica says a little prayer. She says, I just want my high school to be a nice place. Well, that's nice. There's other ways to go about doing that, Veronica, but okay. We end up at a like a double date in a pasture with Heather number two, McNamara, and Kurt and Ram and Veronica and... And some cows. And some cows. They want to tip some cows. The girls aren't impressed. Heather ends up, you know, basically just giving in to one of the guys. I don't know. No, but see, that's... The scene is disturbing to me. For sure. On multiple levels. And one of them is that she doesn't give in. She's like, like actively resisting him she's resisting him and he's just persisting she is resisting him and she shouldn't have to work harder i'm not saying that that's her responsibility to work harder but it's weird that veronica's not helping her so that that's what that's what's really disturbing about it is that as the rest of the scene plays out this is just happening sort of in the background and you can see it and veronica is just like whatever and leaves right and we we just we just kind of accept it as as it like as a regular thing and right and i think that was the point that they were trying to make and it's also i think it plays really badly 31 years later oh my god Whereas I don't remember having that reaction to, and like, and then that's sad too, right? That was not my reaction to it when I was younger. It wasn't mine either. Um, it felt, and like, I hate to say this, but like, it felt like kind of like that, like, oh, boys will be boys, you know? Exactly. That was actually one of the scenes that I, I think I found the most bothersome to watch because I was just like, what is going on? I know. How are we just ignoring this? So Veronica's rescued by, floppy air quote again, by JD and just leaves her friend there to be assaulted. Right, right. And, and like, nobody cares. Nobody cares. It's fine. So the next day at school, Kurt and Ram spread a rumor about Veronica that she is an easy girl. She performed oral sex on both of them. That's what I got out of it. Is that what you got out of it? Yeah. And I actually got that out of it when I was younger. And I remember, like, that was, like, the first time that it occurred to me that, like, that was a thing that happened. (laughs) Like not not oral sex, but like, like two at once. No, like two. Like that. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. That. Oh, oh I was like rumors that people spread rumors, Katie. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was aware of that because at that point already in my life, there was somebody in our school that like supposedly, who knows what she really did, did a certain sexual act with a guy Mm -hmm. and like the tragedy of that is like and i would never say her name but to this day that is all i remember about this girl uh i remember her name and i remember what people said about her and that is terrible i hate to say this but i completely echo what you're saying well and i think that like i grew up on our bodies ourselves so i had a very progressive view of, of things like that whether it was true or not like i wasn't like oh she's a terrible person but there was this like, oh, like she's a bad yeah. girl kind yeah. of thing that went around the school. And so like to this, like she, wherever she is in the world is like this lovely, whole, complete person. And all of these people that went to middle school with her, like all they remember is that. Yeah. And 
And that, like, isn't that so sad? Yeah. So JD decides, hey, I've got this great idea because he is the master of great ideas. Uh, let's concoct this plan where we can shoot them with some blanks and make it look like they shot each other because they were really secret lovers and felt ashamed about it. Right. With this, um, with this fancy kind of bullet with a German name. Uh, <laughs> I didn't make that note. <laughs> that only that only pierces the skin and causes bleeding, but it's really just a tranquilizer. Uh, because yeah, because that, that happens. Plausible. <laughs> I thought Veronica so, was smart. I keep going back to that, but okay. So this was a scene that I had a really hard time suspending my disbelief for. Because first of all, there's like two circles that she clears in the leaves for them. Right? For them to go stand in. So, like, you come up on a crime scene with this as the explanation of what happened, and there's, like, two circles. Like, oh, they decided to, like, clear out some circles in the leaves before they killed each other. Right. (laughs) So that, there's also the issue of, like, that these two teenagers just have, like, spot-on aim, right? (laughs) Right. So the plan was, was that JD was going to shoot one of them, Veronica was going to shoot the other one, and they were going to stage it to look like they shot each other. But no one was supposed to die in Veronica's mind, right? Right. Uh, JD shoots one of them, like square in the throat. Gross. Um, Veronica misses. JD chases after him. She ends up shooting him. Oh, what do you know? They're both dead. Body count three. And I just met this guy, like, last week. Right. Like, no one was dead before I met him. Now three people are dead. Now I've been involved in the murders of three people. Yes. And she's freaking out. They're both dead. She burns her hand on a cigarette lighter, like, in the car. And then JD lights a cigarette on her... Off of her burned hand. Burned hand. Yeah. Red flag number nine million. Right. That was gross and weird and dark. Right. It was, yeah. Yeah. Everything about it. But, you know, like, kids today would be like, how did she use that to burn her hand? Yeah, like, cars <laughs> don't have that anymore. That's just not a thing anymore. Yeah. And then it's, you know, some diary entry or, dear diary, are we going to prom or hell? Well, I, you know, I, as dark as this is, Katie, we haven't even gotten to the end yet. The screenwriter, Daniel Waters said that the first draft of the film was way darker than this. Like what? Yeah, he said at the end, the school was blown up and the dead students attended prom in heaven. Whoa. Because yeah. isn't, that, isn't that one thing that JD says? He's like, the only the only place where like you get rid of like all of these, that's not how he said it, but like the clicks and everything is in heaven, like only in heaven. And I felt like that was an oddly miss, like that just didn't fit him. And so yeah, I wonder like, why if that is he was talking about way? Really, these people are just deplorable humans. I mean, no one worse than JD, but like heaven. So I wonder if that was their way of trying to like work that like, concept that in there. Yeah, it was um, weird because it did stick out. Like, what this feels misplaced. Yeah, and I have to say, like, at, it, it's funny because, and not really funny, haha. But uh, when I was younger and watching this, like, this felt like a really like climactic part right like it felt like i was still like really in the thick of it and really at this point in the movie watching it as an adult i was just like i'm so tired of this like this is why is this entertaining like this is terrible it just kept getting worse and worse and worse 
So we meet right. JD's dad again. He's a clear psychopath. He blew up a building of like some person he was in business with or something. And then did I get this right? I watched this so late at night. Did the dad blow up a library with JD's mom inside of it? So his dad is a construction guy. Right. So he wasn't like blowing things up for the fun of it. Like he's blowing them up as like planned demolitions. And he had planned this demo. And so so this is where we like get the foreshadowing of like, oh, this was how I did my demolition. I put the explosives in the boiler room. And so it establishes like why JD might have such ideas. But his dad had a planned demolition of a library. And the mom went into the library like minutes before it was supposed to be destroyed and waved to him from there. And I think the idea is that uh, people said it was an accident. And he's like, no, she knew what she was doing. She killed herself. Mm. So, you know, so we get a little backstory of why perhaps he's so, one, suicide obsessed, and two, just a little off his rocker. Right. Struggling with some serious mental health issues. Right. That no one addresses. Not even the hippie counselor or teacher (laughs) pulls him aside to say. She does pull Veronica aside at one moment, and I'm skipping ahead, but she's like... Veronica, whether or not to kill yourself is the most decision, the most important decision you'll ever make. What? What? I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but I think it's important because I think it's something that runs through all teen movies, especially in the 80s. I can't speak for now as much, but is the idea of the completely clueless and incompetent adults in their world. Like the parents are clueless. It's It's a trope. You know, as a parent of people that age, are you like... What? <laughs> I am. And I don't know if it's because adults really were so clueless and we're only now hyper aware of it. I'm kind of obsessed with my kids' mental health. And I, that's a double-edged sword, too. I don't want to be that parent. It's like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? okay. It, it's definitely something that's at the forefront of my mind. And I don't yeah, know that it was at the forefront be. of our parents' minds. Not even our parents specifically. I just mean generationally. Just generally. And maybe that's what's being reflected in this is the idea that, like, you're teenagers. What could be so hard in your life? Um, right. You, get over it. Welcome to the real like, world. Yeah. Like, life you don't, is like, hard. Yeah. Right. And so I think that they're – and so maybe that is why they're portrayed that way because mm-hmm. it, it highlights that contrast of, like, no, actually there is a lot of angst and a lot of real – bad things that are going on as evidenced by the eating disorder and the assault and the bullying and all of these things. But it's just sort of brushed off by the parents. The parents are so clueless about it. I want to get to that point, exactly what you're talking about. JD tells Shannon Heather that, you know, she needs to be in charge now, gives her the red scrunchie. She gets kind of a big head about it. Martha attempts suicide, which was really sad. Heather McNamara, yellow, the one that dresses in yellow, she calls into a radio Mm -hmm. show. She's clearly in pain. Shannon Heather loves it, laughs about it, tells the school about it. And JD ends up telling Veronica's parents that she's suicidal. And they are just so stupid. Stoic. It's bizarre. And that goes back to your point that they don't really have feelings about it at all. Right. Like, it's just kind of like, are you, are you suicidal? Like, just very matter of fact. When we see Veronica hanging in a room, we're thinking, is this it? JD discovers right. her and he's like sad about it, even though he came to kill her. He's even like, though I came he to came kill to you, kill her. but are yeah. sad. Yeah. Right. And then he goes on some weird monologue rant about his plan to destroy the school doesn't he take out heather duke so okay before this okay okay i have a note but i wrote nightmare question mark real 
Question mark, unclear, period. These are my notes. He grabbed a knife to kill Shannon Heather. I think that the funeral is a nightmare. Okay, with the 3D glasses. But I don't know. Yeah, now I'm like, I don't know. Was the whole thing a nightmare? I don't know. Interesting. JD such a dark character. Maybe not. Probably not. Probably. Yeah, maybe that didn't actually happen now that I I think about it. Maybe that whole, I thought it was all real up until Til that. Okay. It, it wasn't but actually maybe, very clear. Huh. I don't know, but she makes a diary entry that no one can stop JD. So she knows she's in some serious trouble and she's tried to break up with them a lot. And like, he keeps like pinning her down and kissing her. It's just, it's. Well, and so that, yeah, like that is an interesting commentary perhaps is that he's sort of like so disgusted by the jocks and like how much they're like assaulting girls and whatever. Although he doesn't step in to help uh, Yellow Heather when she's True. being assaulted in the field. But mm-hmm. but then like he essentially does the same thing. And so I'm like, well, wh- what? <laughs> you Why know, is so, this okay? Yeah. So we see that JD's got this awful plan we see him with some like looney tunes type sticks of dynamite he's doing some stuff there's a pep rally in the school gym and he's down below the gym and under under that and the floor under that the boiler room he's in the boiler room okay setting up bombs and it was a hard watch it really was i mean when you think about everything that's transpired after this and i'm not even just talking school violence okay right I mean, even the Oklahoma City bombing, these things happened after this. Well, and I, I can't really speak to this appropriately, but you just have to wonder, like, how how did this as a piece of pop culture feed into ideas like that maybe some misguided people took from it? Because that was part of the original Columbine plan was to, to blow up the school. It didn't work. Seeing it on the other side of all of that just feels uncomfortable and i mean you you could not make a movie like heather's today oh i wholeheartedly agree and you certainly couldn't get critical acclaim for it and i I, oh oh, i have such mixed feelings about it because like i said it does highlight some of these issues as like real issues for teens and yet it's almost like foreshadowing in all the worst ways right it was a commentary on society but it was almost like it right because came to high be. school is society, isn't that what oh, JD yes, says? Oh yes, he does. Like, I have that uh, note here. He says nobody loves me, and then he mentioned something about the school was society. Okay, so so there were some points made, but not. But I still like the impression that I walked away with as a young person watching it was. Ah, I'm like embarrassed to say it now that like they were kind of the cool kids. Like they were kind of these cool badass kids that like did this thing and that like really Winona was like the most badass, right? Because she was the one kind of still standing at the end and whatever. But what? No, she killed her friend. Okay, yeah, she did. How did she like she, fell under the influence of this like bad the dude? Rising, I know it's weird because she emerges from the school. You know, there's all this going on with JD in the boiler room. They're fighting. She shoots him. It's terrible. She looks like crap. She gets out of the school. She's standing on the steps. He's there, strapped with bombs, and she says, "You know what I want." cool guys like you out of my life like she flat out calls him a cool guy cool guys i mean like you i think that's meant to be ironic it, i think it is too but like you said 
they're the cool kids. Right. That there was this idea that like they were cool. The other, what is that about? That's disturbing. And the fact that like, what lesson does Veronica learn? Like, yes, in the end, does she befriend Martha? Yeah. Okay, that doesn't but, undo three murders. That doesn't right, undo But that. like, what did she, and oh, and she saved the school. Okay, good for Okay. <laughs> No, and that was that was important. She was a heroine in that, but there was some serious damage. I mean, these these are three people. Even if they were deeply flawed individuals, they were still sons and daughters. They were still people who could have gone on to learn things and redeem themselves and become important. And they do in throw the that in just a little bit with the jocks because the the one dad is like, you know, like I, I love, love my, my dad, gay, gay son. son. Yeah, so you get that, and then sh- they like make a joke about it, right. and then the little sister. T- turns around so you do get this moment where you're like oh like they are monsters i i don't know that it's like oh the message is subtle i think the message just isn't really fully formed and that's too bad because let me ask you this because we're at the end of the movie she walks into the school totally fried hair crazy she takes a red bow or the red scrunchy bow whatever Right. Puts it, in, puts it in her hair like I'm in charge now and decides to make a movie date with Martha for prom. Okay, good on you, Veronica. But is this a happy ending? The school didn't get blown up. Yes. But like, did you feel satisfied with that ending? Did you think that was a good movie? Were you when like, I, was I never younger, want to see this again? When I was younger, I was like, see, Veronica was a good person all along. <laughs> I don't think that's the right message. <laughs> When I was younger, I was sort of like, that was an awesome movie. And was it really awesome? Or did we subscribe to the fact that it was awesome because the people around us or the older people around us thought it was awesome? Or for the time, was it indeed awesome? No, I think I think that when I first watched it, I was like, wow, this movie is amazing. Uh, it's probably and- fair to say we had never seen dark humor, dark comedy before. I don't know that I had. No, I think I'd not seen that genre of film. Certainly not with that many A-list actors in it. Right. It was very mainstream. It was it was very mainstream for the kind of film that it was. Mm-hmm. And because it sort of got the teen angst part of it right, maybe there was part of me as a young person that felt a little seen. Or or maybe I just didn't take it as seriously. Maybe I like maybe the I ridiculousness it of it. I think that's seemed what it was. So maybe because then it was so ridiculous. You it know? didn't seem like this was a thing that could actually happen. Right. And like now it doesn't seem so ridiculous. <laughs> and I think that herein lies the rub. So I think now, knowing what we know now, right, right living the 31 years we have lived since, it's uncomfortable. I, I, it I could go on record saying it's uncomfortable. And I know this is a beloved cult classic. I know people have a history with this film. It was part of their lives growing up, as it was for you and I. But I do encourage listeners to go back and watch it again to see if you really feel how you felt back then, because it didn't inspire the warm fuzzies with me. I don't know that it ever did. I don't know that I was ever like, feel good. But I was expecting it to be fun, though. I was expecting to have like this fun trip down memory lane. Yeah, and I was was like, expecting it to be funnier. It's dark humor. Okay, we'll call it what it's called. But I actually thought that I would maybe enjoy it more. The whole thing about dark humor is that it's uncomfortable. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. It's supposed to make you think. It's supposed to be ridiculous, but it doesn't actually feel ridiculous. And I think that's why. 
her head in the grass in the opening scene. Like, that's ridiculous, right? Right. So maybe it is. I I think that we may have hit on the answer that, like, at that time in our lives and in the life of, like, the greater culture, these things seemed so outlandish, so overly exaggerated, right? Even, like, so maybe, like, the scene with Heather in the cow field or, you know, how big of a bully the guys were. Like, it, it seemed overdone. And I think as we're looking at it now, we're like, yeah, actually, that's not overdone. And now it's just uncomfortable. Right. And so, so there was just a different level, I think, of cultural awareness of those things. I'm sure all of those things were happening. Hence the reason they got put into the film. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that maybe we all recognize that they were happening at the level that they were as frequently and as badly as they were. The director, Michael Lehman, said there were plenty of people at the time who thought the humor was irresponsible and that the choice of subject was not something that should be put up for satire. And, you know, I just rolled my eyes and said the most horrific topics should be the ones that are best suited to satire. I think if this kind of subject matter or these issues are brought to light in a way that encourage conversation and bring awareness, like you said, I think it's done its job, but it is a question. Is it irresponsible? Are we crossing a line at some point? And at the time this was made, maybe the answer to that question was no. Maybe it wasn't irresponsible. Maybe it was the most responsible. Was this irresponsible? Had our parents seen this film and it actually (laughs) inspired conversation with our parents? No, and it it is one of those things, though, that I do wonder. So um, for people listening, obviously, you don't know this, but my mom passed away when I was 12. uh, So shortly before this movie came out, and I had a very involved mother. So I have no doubt that if Eleanor were around, that... (laughs) Right. She would have watched this movie and we would have had a very long discussion been... about it. And I would never have been allowed to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> and it would have actually inspired some important conversation. And so it would have, and I would have been really uncomfortable for all of it. Um, <laughs> Heather's lives on. Apparently there's a musical. I don't actually know much about it. And they decided to create a TV show. And what's interesting though. Wait, is, there's a Heather's TV show? Yeah, it actually got. The, the release of the show got pushed back because of the Rise in School shootings, which is mm. really sad. Yeah, it would be interesting to see it, to see if it's like... I'd be really yeah, it will be to interesting see to see how that. they tackle these topics in our current culture. I wanted this to be so fun, and it's it's really not been a fun movie to discuss. No, and when you were saying bring about change, I was thinking this is actually going to bring about change in our podcast because I'm not saying we're not going to deal with the heavier things because I think that that's important. I think it's all part of it. But definitely our next episode, I need it to be super light and airy. It needs to be nothing but a good time because not even this glass of wine could make this feel good fun. It was heavy. I I was not expecting that. So I I just don't want that. Yeah, this to was be. no like like recap of Paula Abdul's Forever Your Girl. Right. No. Which yeah. Actually, Katie Timestamp added to the list. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay. Well. Oh, Paula. Yes. <sighs> yeah. So this has been a very special episode of mm-hmm. the Untitled. Generation X podcast. Gen X? Is it? Oh, I Gen think X. Gen girl. X. I'm sorry. I, who was I being all lengthy <laughs> in the word generations? <laughs> like the least Gen X thing I could have ever done. <laughs> it's a super Karen thing to say right now, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry. So thanks for hanging in there with us. If you love this film to this day, like you watch it regularly and you're Ooh, like, we want to know. 
right, like these women are disrespect. I'm curious, how does it speak to you in a way that it wasn't speaking to me? What did I miss? Drop us a line. You can find us on the web at the Untitled Gen X Podcast.com. We're on Instagram and Facebook at the Untitled Gen X Podcast. And you can leave us a message there. If you do uh, listen to our podcast and you want to throw us a like or a review, we're, we would really appreciate that from you. We would. Thanks, you guys, for joining us. Talk soon, beautiful people. More Bye. fun next time, we promise. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Bye.